Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to another installment of a beautiful podcast. How are you this fine January 5th, 2023? Happy New Year to you. Still can't believe it. We're here. We made it. It's amazing. Uh, I'm in San Francisco where it has been pouring buckets the last couple of days. Uh, we had, you know, not not life-threatening for the most part, uh, levels of wind and rain, uh, but it has been intense. I mean, rain going sideways off the side of the window, out the side of the window, and, uh, you know, trees falling over and things like that. Uh, just absolutely crazy. I mean, the cities, local cities in the Bay Area have been declaring a state of emergency to uh, to evacuate uh, the, the transients, you know, the um, non-sheltered people. Um, it's just been, yeah, absolutely, uh, <laughs> wow, intense. So I am glad to talk to you. I'm, I'm, I'm also glad I can talk to you with enough um, peace <laughs> and calm uh, in the atmosphere so I can record this without having that loud <laughs> whistling sound all day. You couldn't escape the howl of the wind yesterday. It was really, really crazy. It's always hard to pick the guest uh, to open the new year with, but this year I've got someone special lined up, Ramnivas Ladad. Ramnivas is an engineer and entrepreneur, and he's more recently worked on Claytip, which is an amazing Rust-powered platform for developers. Uh, words don't really do it justice, my friends. You really have to go see it. It's phenomenal and productive and uh, just powerful and fast. Oh, so fast. So very interesting. Uh, he also created LearnRaga.com, which is a uh, it's a way to learn Raga. Now, I confess, I didn't really know what Raga was before I talked to him, per the internet, and this is as concise an uh, explanation as I can give you. Uh, I'm, an, I'm an idiot. I don't know uh, the details here, but it sounds interesting. Per the internet, a Raga is a melodic framework for improvisation in Indian classical music akin to a melodic mode. The Raga is a unique and central feature of the classical Indian music tradition, and as a result, has no direct translation to concepts in classical European music. So there you go. The definition is that it's undefinable. Um, except unless you listen or, you know, follow LearnRaga.com. So, you know, they're, they're, that's the way for you and I to get on the other side of this question. It's just to go to that website and do it. And it looks amazing and it sounds amazing, right? Obviously, it sounds beautiful. Um, so that's all very cool. But that's, that's just the latest. That's just the latest and greatest. The reason... Uh, I know Romney Voss is because decades ago he wrote a book uh, on Aspect J. You see, he worked for the Spring team for many years in the early days, and his contributions are a huge part of the reason that Spring stands tall today. He's known for a number of things, including, as I say, being an expert on Aspect J, and he was key to its integration in Spring in Spring Framework 2.0, which is a, you know, we're now on Spring Framework 6.0 for reference, so long, long time ago. He was one of the earliest engineers working on what would become the platform as a service called Cloud Foundry, and he was the creator of the project known today as the Spring Cloud Connectors. That's the long and short of it, my friends, but it doesn't even begin to suffice to describe him, which is why I'm so grateful he agreed to be on today's show. Uh, just trust me, this guy is a legend. He's a, he's a, he goes on. He lives in the, in the pantheon of all-time great contributors to Spring, and uh, I I just, I just adore him. So let's get into today's episode. It's going to be awesome. I cannot believe I got you on this podcast. It has been too long. Uh, 
before we get started, who are you? Could you introduce yourself to the audience so that I don't butcher it? Yeah. So I am Ram Nivas, Ram Nivas Ladad, and I have. Who am I? That's a it's a it's a big, pretty loaded question, I suppose, you know. But I can give more like a professional side of me at least, and maybe a little bit personal too. So professionally, I kind of been doing software for like you know last what two three decades now. Um, started with like you know real time systems uh, and basically launching rockets, that sort of st- st- stuff, and then. Yeah, basically, I used to work for a company. Its company still exists, like Real Time Innovations, and so there uh, we used to make a couple of things. One is real time networking stack, so publish, subscribe, that sort of thing, but with real time constraints. So, for example, if you, it is important that the data get delivered in time, or it is actually useless because you want like real time sensor data, so you want different constraints and different level of uh, um, but but the same publish subscribe idea and then I worked on something called control shell which was how to create uh, real-time systems control systems so in fact it was used for medical devices it was used for uh, launching rockets the uh, that sort of system so that's that's sort of uh, what I worked on then I moved on to like very almost like arbitrary switch in certain ways to like whole Java and Spring World and did aspect J in between somewhere. And uh, so let's talk about that in a second. Okay, go on. But I want to loop back to aspect J. Sure. Yeah. And then I, at Spring, I did a variety of things, uh, then moved to Cloud Foundry and Cloud Foundry, I was doing framework integration. So essentially all the frameworks that were supported in Cloud Foundry uh, was something that I was I led that team. Uh, then I kind of like said, okay, I want to do something really different. I, I, this is in fact my theme. Like I do something completely different. I switched to like, say, I want to do my own startup. And so I, I and I, my one of other passion is Indian classical music. So I love Indian playing uh, music. Uh, I'm a student. I don't play very well, but I listen to a lot of music. I volunteer at a local, local organization and stuff like that. So I created a uh, created a startup called Learn Raga, and it really a lot helps people to learn Indian classical music, create their compositions while they sing or they play. It gives them feedback, like you know, are you singing in the right pitch, that sort of stuff. So that's that's what I did. Um, so its its site is launched. People are using it. People are loving it. Um, so then I kind of switched gear again a little bit and kind of focused on. Like essentially what the issues I faced during Learn Raga, as well as what experience I had with building all the systems and working with clients and whatnot to say, okay, can we take a different look at how do we create backends uh, for applications? So I work, I'm working on something called Claytip. I'm hoping to open source it early next year, maybe February. What is it um, called? Uh, Claytip. Uh, so Claytip is a way to essentially... Like, clay, as in uh, C L A Y, tip T I P. Okay, clay tip, clay tip. So yeah, so that's what I'm working on now. That's like professional side of me. <laughs> it, it, you don't do your own resume enough justice, my friend. I uh, <clears throat> when you said you did one or two things at spring, I almost died inside because that's just not true. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like it's like saying you know. Magellan did a little bit for navigation, you know, <laughs> like uh, did one or two things for navigation. Um, 
Yeah, so let me let's go. I mean, the the rockets part. I didn't actually know that. That's cool. That's super cool. So you were doing real time uh, data, and that was pub sub. Like you built your own broker. Yeah, that's the, the two two three products mainly I worked on. One was that called Net NDDS Network Data Delivery System, which was that pub sub, but with real time constraints. So essentially, very much like the pub sub of JMS. Uh, yeah. But uh, the constraints were different, so you 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 you. It was very important to deliver data in a as fast as possible. So, but uh, you don't didn't we did not need to persist it because it was important to deliver it, but not necessarily persist it or go back. So not quite like Kafka, but more like you know broadcast it as fast as possible. But each node must know that okay, it hasn't received data, so it will alert things like that. So that. Cool. different constraints uh, and the other product i worked on was like you can create like you know control flow state machine stuff like that in a graphical manner uh, and then you will run it on a real time operating systems yeah wow and that was all c and c++ c c++ yeah yeah, yeah. I did get started with Java because one of the team was working on the UI that was the back in the swing and all that stuff, you know, so it was Java, but that's actually, I, that's where I got introduced to Java. <laughs> Is it the, the swing stuff? For the front end. Uh, it's hard to think about Java being a client, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. Back uh, in the day, it was a cool thing. Cool, it cool was, stuff. It, yeah. it's, it's still, still a cool I mean, thing for UI. It's still, yeah. you know, yeah. It's not popular but it's still have java effects is still amazing i, I don't care what anybody says mm-hmm. um you were probably dealing with art and swing at that point yeah, yeah yeah that was like in fact swing wasn't even swing i started with like a point three version of swing yeah yeah <laughs> just like a preview thing yeah yeah i remember that um okay so and then you moved from c plus so was was your training in computer science yeah. uh, in c and c plus plus uh Actually, I so I, I started with um, what used to call electronics and telecommunications, so more of like you know transistors and diodes and all that stuff, digital circuits and all that thing. And then for my masters, I did like communication engineering, so pretty much like basically math, <laughs> statistics, wow. and math, so signal processing, and stuff like that. So I'll serve anybody well today. <laughs> And, but there I started, actually, that's where I started to get into programming while I was doing my master's where I was, uh, I mean, seriously, I had touched off uh, programming earlier, but that's when I kind of got into serious, like, okay, how do I, back in the days, I was actually working on the, the first way of AI system where I used neural network program, neural networks to do financial uh, forecasting. Uh, so right. you get... You 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 try to learn trends from old historic data and try to come with a model of like how market will behave. Uh, so that sort of that was fun stuff. And that stuff say, sounds very fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you played and, with ChatGPT by the way? Yeah, I did. <laughs> it's actually kind of fun. It's 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 interesting. You know, so it, yeah. certain things it definitely blows your mind, and certain things it's like oh, it's like kind of like repeating and. Pretty pretty verbose, you know, but but definitely like it's telling us like you know well things are going to be very different now in five ten years <laughs> or soon yeah five ten years is great that's and that's I think the horizon right I think we'll see a lot of cool stuff even next year later this year two years from now I mean it's phenomenal I mean it phenomenal. really is yeah you can put ChatGPT on Jeopardy it would be fine you know like, <laughs> yeah and even like 
co-pilot like you know it's mm-hmm. kind of like you know it's just it's awesome i i i use co-pilot like you know i mean and it just all the time i feel like i don't want to be without it because yes you know it gets things wrong but that's fine i don't expect it to just give me answers but it gives me like reasonable completion like you know much more like nuanced completion than just like you know what methods are available right and uh, it just you know fewer things to type fewer things to think you know it's like okay and it's phenomenal it's, it's really like you know it's going to change like you know how we how we do things i i can't wait because i'm tired of being the only person they blame when the when my code is terrible like <laughs> i want somebody else to like get in trouble too you know like uh, chat gpt copilot yeah. did it copilot yeah, did, co-pilot it. did it yeah exactly <laughs> and then the blog that i wrote about the the terrible code later that was chat gpt's fault you know like, yeah yeah like, exactly. i'm blaming i'm blaming the bots yeah but then uh, bots will get paid as well you know you want well it's okay um did you see they actually just uh they they almost cracked the problem of creating more energy than yeah i saw that one what does that mean when the world when you have infinite energy suddenly you don't have there's no reason you can't have something right you can have food you can have trinkets you know if you have infinite energy you can have infinite gas you can have infinite not gas infinite you know charge for your car you know like yeah. suddenly scarcity becomes much less of a problem uh, like wow yeah i'm looking really amazing yeah year. i think it's tickets away but i do think you know i mean if if and when it that happens it's more like a when that happens i think i mean of course yeah don't know anything about like you know what they talk about i mean i look at the school pictures like oh that sounds good but uh uh nevertheless you know, if it happens uh that, that will change like trajectory like completely yeah couldn't agree more it's going to be amazing so okay so ai c c++ real time operating system constraint for messaging uh and then you moved to the you you got familiar with java you got exposed to java via the front end the preview swing and op code uh my dog's barking uh and then you went to what was then yeah, actually was aspect j yeah towards the end basically while i was at real time i actually wrote that first edition while i was uh, working for that company uh, first edition of what aspect j in action oh the book okay so what was your involvement in aspect j so i started with more like a curious guy like you know wanted to like see oh, what is it you know in fact i actually knew aspect j for a very long time much before i even wrote those articles in java world back then I don't, I don't Java, Java World, oh, of course, and Java Pro Magazine. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, before even well, I, mean, I think the the server side dot com came out nineteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety eight, something like yeah. that. But Java Pro, the magazine, you could buy it. And I remember reading. <laughs> uh, oh gosh, what was his name? He did a he did a bunch of converters. Uh, there's an art. There's a columnist in Java Pro Magazine. I remember. Anyway, Java World. Yeah, go on. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, just, so. So I um so I I initially just started like you know it's curious I I just became curious uh, and just started to tinker around and I kind of somehow like connected with it very fast and in fact started to like ask rather interesting question on the forum you know because those are like led by Xerox Park guys so then like you know I kind of like, like you know what I'm actually getting feel for it so I I wrote a bunch of articles uh, to kind of express my understanding of what it is and then then I basically wrote book because it, what happened is back in the days 
at least uh, when, I, when I was exploring Aspect J, the example was the same. Again, logging, logging, just, just oh, the same. It's always thing, the right? same. So it, it almost felt like, okay, is this it really? I mean, you know, yes, you, Aspect J is a really wonderful thing, perhaps for logging, but is it is it it? And I felt like, you know, you need a practitioner who can like basically understand the problem and then Aspect J understand what it can provide. So wrote the book basically where I could use it for authentication, authorization, transaction management, um, th- swing thread safety, and so on and on. So right. there are a lot of things you could use Aspect J that wasn't thought about, you know. So I kind of like made it like a much more a practical approach towards. Well, here are problems. Everybody understands these problems beyond logging interesting. Of course, logging interesting. There's a whole chapter for that, right. but. Uh, Beyond that, what could he use? And so that's that's what the aspect J in action. I wrote it, and I think that's how I Rod knew about me. And then I actually, um, I think I got invited to speak at like a Spring One back in the day, Antwerp. Uh, it, I think it was called Spring One. Uh, Spring One Experience or something like that. No, I think there was there were two conferences first. There was a Spring One and Spring Experience. There were two different mm. conferences. If I right, right, sorry. I completed it. So then right. they got like mixed, uh, they got merged or something like that. I don't mm-hmm. exactly uh, recall, but spring one was in Belgium. And then I went there and uh, spoke there. And that's where I, I talked with Rod and Rob Harrop and Adrian. I met all these guys. Costin actually. Costin and I, we uh, got, uh, we, 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 we joined Spring Source on the same day. Actually, at least we agreed to join Spring Source on the same day. And so that's, wow. Uh, so that's 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 the uh, anyway. So I I joined Spring Source and that's uh, then then later on wrote a second edition of Aspect J. But that was much more like again Spring focused. So were you um a so oh I didn't so I don't even know this part because I knew you were very involved in the Aspect J stuff. But were you a committer on the project or no? I wasn't. Just a big fan like me at to Spring. Oh, that's so cool. That is so cool. Okay, so you took. I noticed that because remember Spring Framework 1.0 had um, a basic, not AOP kind of like it was a, it was um, proxy, proxy factory beans and yeah. you know, that, the, that whole thing, but <clears throat> the, the, the whole idea of the component model and, and even the method, the method interceptor, the um, AOP Alliance is that, that was a yeah. 2.0, right? Like that came later. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I think it's two dot because there was another another aspect of it, uh, aspect J, aspect, aspect, AOP aspect framework uh, called Aspect Works, uh, yeah. and then Jonas Bonier, and so then who's they, also on the show and also is now the CEO of uh, Lightbend. Yeah, for people who are listening. Yep, yep. Small so, world. And then AOP Alliance came in picture to so say, okay, you know, if there are going to be more framework, and I I don't quite know remember like any anyone else. Also doing AOP Alliance uh, interfaces and whatnot, but somehow that was there. So anyway, that it's it's fine. They were like you know, good interfaces, so sure. Why not? So I think when I after I came in and Adrian also joined about the similar time as me, then we kind of like you know made uh, much the like aspect J was much more became much more prominent in Spring Framework. Uh, uh, so we had like add bean annotation. Uh, a point cut, uh, at point cut, yeah, and then at aspect, aspect at aspect, uh, at aspect J, which is basically so. Just to kind of you know, the aspect J original had like a, its own syntax, 
and yeah, yeah. was you you would write in .aj file and things like that. Wait, Whereas, before we before we go on, what is aspect oriented programming? What the heck are we talking about? Wow. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is going to be a long answer, but I'll try to keep it as short as possible. Like you know, so kind of like taking a step back, essentially we are trying to modularize our software, right? You know, so we say, okay, um, we want to express a software. Software basically is what? Essentially it's a specification of whatever we are trying to offer to users or to backend. So essentially we want to say, okay, my system shall do these following things. Right. It shall give you a web interface and it shall, when the request come, it can do some blogging, monitoring, um, auditing, it will do, when it hits database, it will do some transaction. If it user is trying to access some card, it will do authorization. So like, so there's a bunch of what we call concerns in our right. system. So we are trying to build system. So we want to take care of lots of things. Some are like business requirements, such as, well, if I want to withdraw money or transfer money from one account to other account, well, that's a business requirement. There is some logic that means, okay, this is how you take money from one account. This is how you deposit money to other account. And that's, 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 those are like business concerns. And then there are like lots of other concerns, authorization transaction, the one we talked about. And of course, then we have different way of trying to look at the system and saying, how do I, how do I express this in software? Right. So object oriented is one way of doing it saying, all right, you know, I will have, there's a class called transaction manager. There will be class perhaps authorization and so on. The question becomes, how do you combine this thing? Right. So. You want to, for example, say like that transfer we talked about, right? So transfer, we want to say, I want to start a set up a transaction around it so that yeah. when I withdraw money from one account and deposit it to another one, I want it to be done under transaction management, watching it mm -hmm. that way. I can guarantee some of it like atomicity or something, whichever one or whatever I want, right? You know, the question is, how do you actually bring in this logic of saying start transaction, do your stuff and end transaction, right? So one yeah. way was to do through aspect-oriented programming. So aspect-oriented programming, you can say, okay, I want to, and there are a couple of concepts in aspect-oriented programming. One is called point cut. And point cut is, you can think of it as like an SQL is over database, basically. But similarly, point cut is over your program. So if you look at your program as like, you know, there are a bunch of, things in your program, elements in the program, right. classes, methods, field access, field. stuff like that. Yeah. So you want to say, how do I select what I want? So you can say, hey, I want public methods in all these classes, or I want to have public method in class that extends this interface, or I want to have methods that have this carry this transaction, uh, carry this annotation. So you have essentially a language that captures some characteristics of your uh, program. And there are two parts. One is like static, like, you know, you can see like these annotations and stuff like that. And then there is also dynamic point cut, which basically says, what if argument is five? Or what if, uh, I don't know this particular type, but it does extend this particular uh, interface, but okay. I want to detect it at runtime. Uh, so you have this point cut and then point cuts, uh, you can advise using point cuts. You can say, before the thing that I captured, this thing that I selected before happens, I want to do something. So when you say before the thing that happens, are you saying if I write a point cut that selects all public methods, right, in all in implementations of 
auto-closable, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I select all public implementations of those methods. That's the point cut. The 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 thing you're selecting are the method invocations. When somebody calls those methods on instances of objects that implement that interface. Exactly. Those are okay. called join points. You know, right. know, a proper term for that would be join right. point. And so you're and describing the join points and the advice is like an event listener that listens for whenever that thing happens that you're describing that point cut. Precisely, precisely. In fact, okay. just to like, you know, we talked about like, you know, point cuts are like SQL statements. Yeah. Then advice will be like a trigger. So something like right. triggers. So you can say, okay, whenever I do something to this, something else should happen. And that's, right. um, so yeah. So, so what do you get in a, like, there's not one kind of advice, right? Because there's classes versus yeah. methods versus field access. So these advices, what's your, what's the programming abstraction? It's very hard to describe this over human language. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much clearer when you see the code, but yeah, for the so, audience. So you can say like, what should happen before those join points? So you can say also method is involved. Let's say method. We'll call for now method involved. Just a method. But there could be other bunch of other things like object is constructed or field is accessed, bunch of things. Right. But let's say methods as a yeah. things of our interest. You can sure. say before method is invoked, something should happen. You can say after method is invoked, something could happen. So after, and there are like two variations of after. You can say after returning means if everything went okay. Right. That, or after throwing and then if an exception got thrown, then right. you can do that. And one more powerful one is called around. So it's kind of all encompassing. So around, basically, you can go around a method and saying, okay, so what you do is in around advice, you you have to call explicitly proceed to say, so go what? ahead and proceed, proceed with the method. Oh, right. So you're giving a context object that you can use to veto the method invocation or to allow it to proceed. And what, hap what happens there? You're, you're calling the target? Exactly. So you're calling the original code will get invoked. Okay. So you somehow this advice interposes itself. So when you call a method on an object, this object has been decorated with your aspect J sorcery magic. Exactly. And, and somehow when you call a method on that object, your code gets called and you get a chance in your code to basically either call, either forward the invocation to the original object or to just do something else. So just maybe you call it and you change the result or maybe you just produce your own result or maybe you don't Absolutely. call it at all and return no or something, right? You can Absolutely. So that second thing would be like a caching. Suppose you wanted to do caching. Then you would say, you know what? I have, I would just get, give it from cache. Um, you could even call it multiple times. If you want to do retry logic, so you can say, okay, let me call, but if it fails, then call again and so on. So you could do, you have basically given access to the original join point and you can call multiple times, not call it, call with different methods than you originally called. So like, I don't know if anyone uses, but the Jazz, the Java authentication authorization system. Right. Uh, there you have to, you, you do that. Basically you create like authorization context and authentication context. And in that you say, under that context, you go ahead and invoke some method, right? So you could say like, yeah, you know what? I want to do proceed. I want to proceed with the original method, but with this, some extra context surrounding it. So you could write right. all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. Now, now with this, so what you're describing is, it's fairly easy to see how with the 
very particular example of methods, how I could just write an adapter, right? That in, envelops another object or you know, that delegates to another <clears throat> object, but it implements the same interfaces. And if I'm like, I have, a, I have a delegating implementation of an interface, I can call the original, the target, the delegated instance, or I could just return my own values. And that's kind of like the method advice where I think what people don't really understand is Aspect J could do a lot more than that. You just mentioned fields and constructor invocation. That I mean, so there. It, what 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 Spring surfaces without any Aspect J weaving is just the methods, basically. Yeah. Right, but there's actually this whole other superset of the Java language that was possible with Aspect J, assuming you used this weaver. Exactly. The weaver. So weaver is so you you have you written this aspect which essentially like all the logic that we described. By the way, there is something called static cross cutting, which basically you can introduce fields and you can introduce interfaces to your existing classes. But let's keep that wow. aside for a second. Uh, and that in conjunction with what what we what I the advice part is called dynamic cross cutting. So just that way we can use those terms. Okay. Uh, and they when you combine it, actually can become really interesting, powerful, and and quite scary. So we'll talk about perhaps later. <laughs> Why, why aspect you didn't pick up as much as, you know, we would have thought, you know, it, sh- okay. it should, or at least I thought it should. Right. So we'll talk about that later, but anyway, let's understand what it is at least. So we'll leave the static cross-cutting for, for a little bit of, uh, you know, not worry about it just yet here. Okay. So um, now that you express your aspects, advice and point cuts, you want actually to that to happen, right? Essentially, you want to say, if I'm advising a method called transfer, then I want around transfer transaction logic to be set up. So transaction right. logic is in aspect J, aspect uh, aspects. Your transfer method is in your class and you want them to kind of come together in whatever way you specified. So this process of combining these two things is called weaving. So essentially, at a bytecode level, aspect J compiler will take the specification of aspect the classes that are compiled by Java C or even Aspect, uh, Aspect J compiler, and it will put it together. Uh, actually, even in Spring, same process happened, but it doesn't happen at bytecode level. It happens through runtime proxies. Similar mechanism, essentially, similar ideas, but a different mechanism. Right. So, and then you basically get bytecode, and that bytecode is nothing special. There is no aspect, uh, you know, you, you just run it on JVM the way you would do it any other code. Um, you put a little bit, little bit of like uh, uh, another class jar file on the class path. But other than that, there is nothing special about this bytecode. Right. So, so the so what it, what is it? What is it? What does the advice look like for field access? Yeah. So what can I do with that? Yeah. So field access, you can sort of say. Okay, first of all, you can do authorization authentication. So you can say like at a very low level, if you know like this class, certain parts are like, like really important that you can do. Or you, if you want to say, hey, if somebody is modifying a particular field, so you are like with field, you get like a set and get yeah. two kinds of ways you deal with field. You are either reading field or you're writing to field. So if you're reading, if you're, if you're writing to a field and then you can say whenever you're writing to a field, you may mark, for example, that object to be dirty and say, okay, that means this object is not synced up with whatever, you know, maybe for example, some persistent storage. 
you can mark it. Or if somebody modifies it, you can invalidate the cache. Or if somebody modifies it, you can actually update the cache. So you can do all sorts of things, but at a like enough lower level, so you can say, okay, object has some data, and that right. data you want to apply some logic or something. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, amazing. So, so that's not possible with a generic out of the box Spring, but it is possible with the Aspect J Weaver plus Spring, which is a basically like a Java agent. Yep. That that changes the bytecode that gets loaded into the the runtime in the class loader, right? Yeah, or you could um, just pre-compile it. You know, you can run Aspect okay. J uh, and then at the build time. So depending on like the where you want, like you know, so the Java agent approach is generally useful for things like monitoring. Like there's right. no there's no impact on your core business logic or like main logic such as caching or things like that, but more like, hey, I want to monitor now. I don't want to monitor now. So you kind of right. like to be flexible into say like, okay, I'll I'll invoke with the Java agent and this aspect or with this other aspect or with no aspect at all, depending on right. what you're trying to do. So there are like different ways depending on your needs. You can yeah. use different style of weaving. And so what I loved about this, when I first learned about it, I read your book, of course. I'm a big fan. Uh, I think that's one of the first things I told you when I met you because that this stuff is, at the time I learned about it, it felt like it was very much in academia. Like it was not a mainstream topic of interest. And I loved Spring uh, and, you know, Jonas as well for, for bringing these things that were sort of born in academia in research and then applying to them, applying them to the mainstream. At the time, this is early 2000s, right? 2002, three, four, five. Um, I remember uh, EJBs had declarative transaction demarcation and declarative security constraints. Uh, but of course you have to go to EJB whatever EGB config or whatever it was, EGB, the, the big XML file, right? Yeah, yeah. You had to go there and use the element to say, I want to opt in. I want to have these things applied to my EJB, right? And it was never really talked about in terms of AOP, right? It was not talked about. It was just a, a thing you could layer onto your business service, right? Um, and, and the problem was if you wanted to do anything besides what was supported, you were in trouble because you couldn't, there was no easy way to yeah. add new advice, you know? And unfortunately, EJB, this is before EJB three, for people who are listening, this is EJB one, 1.1 and two, which was, which we can all universally agree were terrible, right? <laughs> uh, uh, and I mean, three is fine, right? It's much better, but 1.0 and those, those other ones were not something anybody needed. And so, but I always thought, gosh, it would be nice to have this, like, I want to be able to express these cross-cutting concerns, right? Uh, but I'd like to be able to apply that for my own use cases because as good as the Spring team is, they can't know everything. Yeah. It, it just, they just can't, right? It's just not possible to know every single situation where I might have a cross-cutting kind of concern. And so to me, the, the power of Aspect J was that I might have a solution that works out of the box, just like the EJB <clears throat> declarative concerns did, um, but without the bureaucracy, without the uh, 
verbosity. Yeah, yeah. And then also might also extend metaphorically and technologically to some of the use cases for which I hadn't yet anticipated a need. You know? Exactly. And Aspect J delivered on that, right? Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and even 1.0, even Spring Framework 1.0, they had a proxy mechanism which allowed you to interpose yourself in between method invocations. You could say, yeah. okay, when this method returns or before it returns, but it wasn't quite the same. Aspect J really took it, the 2.0 release with Aspect J was a whole different world, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think basically the point cut mechanism, you know, is, is really powerful. In fact, you know, of all the things, you know, that, you know, Aspect J offers, the point cut, the way you can like, kind of say like, okay, this is what I want, you know. Right. It's really interesting that like, you can say, okay, this, how do you essentially, essentially you're taking projection onto like the whole program space, right? You're saying, okay, of all the things available, these are the things I'm interested in. How do I express some characteristics of it, right? Right. Uh, initially, there was no annotations. Actually, like you know, Java did not have annotations. Java one point five. That was yeah. years later. Yeah. So aspect G initially was much a bit harder. Like you know, you had to like you know, essentially use some naming convention or something to pick up, and that was not always easy. In fact, some of the things that I had to do in aspect J in action first edition was to introduce some patterns to like you know, like the participant pattern, what I used to call participant pattern was like that essentially you can say okay now how, how do how does a class say that these are the methods that you should apply transaction management right? right because there is no annotation to specify so the mechanism i came with like okay class should embed uh, an aspect that just declares like okay and and like like java classes you can help abstract point cut and stuff like that so you kind of like yeah. say okay i just want to describe something about this class but not like too much. All I want right. to say, like, hey, these are the things that are that you should apply transaction management, whatever that means. And that's an interesting part where you are saying, where do we apply is a separate, then how what is the, what do you want to do there is a separate thing. So you could separate those things out. So once the annotations came in, that became like much more interesting, easy mechanism. Yeah. And what Spring did 2.0 was because it used the same point cut language as in aspect J. Right. It kind of could like express that power to say, okay, I want these annotations, taking these methods, throwing this exception, whatever, you know, whatever spec. Well, okay. So this is interesting too. Spring had the annotation, which let you write a point cut expression in the annotation. So you have an attribute, a value field for the annotation. And it was just a point cut expression, which is its own language. There was a way to use aspect J as Java source code. You could actually write these extra tokens in your Java source code, and that would be compiled by the Aspect J compiler, not just the regular Java compiler, because they were not valid Java. Um, and so there's actually a superset of the Java language. Is that true? Am I thinking well, the right? Yeah. Thing? With, with, yeah. So the Aspect J, the original Aspect J was like a superset language. You 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 had like the keywords were like as, Aspect was a keyword and a point cut and at right. before and after and those kind of uh keywords were there so that's that um in spring earlier i'm trying to recall also like you know because that's been such a long time but i think initially it was more like a regular expression kind of based uh, right. uh point cut selection in this uh, annotation yeah and then later the XML. on then you can say aspect j style annotation a uh, point cut expression right and later on you could actually write an at aspect aspect which is 
So, so the difference between the original aspect language and the art aspect style, annotation style aspect is in annotation style aspect, you write normal Java, not Java file. Right. But instead of using aspect keyword, use add aspect uh, um, annotation and add before and so on and on. Um, it was slightly less powerful, but it was a lot less friction uh, also because good tooling support. Good tooling support. You could go and, you know, just advice is just a method with a annotation right. and so on. And then you could go and combine this and in the spring you could use it as well. Um, Amazing. So, this that whole time I remember being so interesting because it just seemed like we had we'd been doing object-oriented programming for so long. And now here's this new paradigm, AOP, aspect-oriented programming, that we were it wasn't a new, it wasn't you didn't have to forget what you were doing. You could just make it better. So all your investment in Java <clears throat> was already still viable, but now it's just that much better for your in investment in ALP. It was just such a wonderful time to... Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. Um, okay, so ALP. I'm a big fan, obviously. And it's... it's Today, I don't think most people use it. Uh, and I think the reason is because most of the common case concerns are well cared for uh, by annotations uh, that are behind the scenes doing something like ALP. Not yeah, always, like, but a lot of times they are. Exactly. Like, you know, so basically... Frameworks end up taking care of things that you would want, typically. Right. And yes, they may use AOP mechanism, or you could conceivably write like AGP three framework with or AGP four, whatever. If, right. if somebody were to write one <laughs> with, with AOP effectively, but not really expose it as an AOP, right? You know, which right. is which Amazing. is uh, you could do that. I think there's one more thing that happened. I think is also functional programming. Uh, so when functional programming yeah. started to pick up. Um, so actually, uh, wow, that's like, you know, long, long time back. So I'm trying to recall, but maybe 2012, I actually, uh, gave a talk in like second Scala days conference. So where I talked about Scala and aspect oriented programming. So I kind of like put like, you know, basically I wanted to like say, okay, if now that functional programming is there, you know, you can express certain things quite nicely also. Right. Uh, now there's a difference and I, I'll come to that. But anyway, I gave that talk and I put into like a three buckets, like, you know, aspect oriented programming, what the use cases, one use case is something where we use aspect oriented programming as a kind of like, like nicer way to do what we could do very nicely with the functional programming. So for example, right. caching, caching is a good example where I think we use aspect J to do caching because we didn't have uh, functions and function as a first class values and things right. like that. So we couldn't like pass a closure and saying, okay, you know what, this, this is a cache and I will give you like a key and I will give you uh, some value and here is a, here is a result uh, that you should cache. Right. So we use like, you know, annotation at cached and even I, even in aspect generation first, second edition, I believe there was an example where I use spring expression language to like compute the cache key. Because based on the arguments and the object right. and so on, you could say, okay, what is the key of this particular computation? Um, so I kind of felt like that is like where it's not really aspect, it's not really cross-cutting concern. Each cache computation has its own logic to compute the key. And so you could just do it a nice closure, a nice function and pass a closure, computation as a closure. And that would be good enough. Right. 
Then the second bucket I put in is like a things like transaction management and security. Right. There too, you could actually have transactional as a function. Transactional would be a function and that can, you can pass the work, transactional work as a closure. Right. And that's fine. You could do that. But I actually felt like Aspect J did have a little bit of a uh, edge there, a little bit. But it's like, yeah. depending on like, you know, would you really, it wasn't so much edge that you can bring in you want to bring in a new tool if you already have natively something available. That's always right. a question, right? You know, because for you sure. more Cost tools you, benefit. Exactly. More tools you be, bring into your stack, harder it becomes to maintain sometimes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a very, very fine to, to be discussed very finely on the topic. But anyway, um so there, however, you know, because with annotation, with annotations, you could express like like, hey, this is I want. You can, like, for example, say all public methods should be transactional. That You could right. say that. Whereas here you have to say transactional method in and each of those. Tedious. Right? So a little bit tedious, you know. And so this that's like, okay, that's a bit questionable, right? But the third thing is, like, when it comes to monitoring or it comes to, like, object invalidation or it comes to, like, okay, I want security, for example. Right. There, I think Aspect J still had an edge because... It becomes a question of auditability. Like, could you like, you know, look at something and saying, okay, this is, these are all methods are secure now and these methods aren't secure. Or I want to uh, do rate limiting for uh, some part of my code. Like, could I, how do I express this thing? Because I don't want to like go and touch every single thing, right? Right. So that's what I put in like, in like widely applicable processing concern, medium and the kind of like not quite cross-cutting concern. Okay. So, so anyway, functional programming came that basically made like certain use case of aspect J, like, okay, do you want to bring that in? Um, that said, I think, you know, these ideas will come, you know, I think, you know, yeah. I, I think somebody said like, you know, I, I, and I tried to look like very hard for who quoted this. I, I heard this, like, you know, every new technology is at least 30 years old. Fair point. Yeah, yeah. Nothing new under the sun. Because like, for example, you get XML back in the days. You know, remember XML was like a big thing. Like yeah, everybody had to know XML, right? But yeah. like, you know, SGML was 30 years back, right? You know, uh, uh, and so everything new, basically. I mean, uh, of course, this statement is, has, you know, I mean, I know it's not. When, I, it I comes, when, it, when it comes again, of course, it has a very different reincarnation. So I, I wouldn't be surprised, like, you know, in 10, 15 years from now, we see Aspect-oriented programming in kind of, again, a different flavor. Maybe not yeah. even called aspect-oriented programming. Right. But... Some new incarnation, uh, like like uh, SGML to XML, SOAP to REST. You exactly. Know, uh, uh, SOA versus microservices. I mean, at some point, you, you're improving upon a well-understood thing. But you can't say that that well-understood thing didn't figure at least partially into that new thing, you know? Yeah. Or even functional um, programming, right? Functional programming is probably quite, maybe we can say like was one of the first paradigm to start with, like Lisp and Lisp is what, 50, 60, 50 years old, yeah. or something like that, right? You know? And it's still kicking. Closure is still awesome. You know, here we are. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But like, if you look at functional programming, as like everybody talks about functional programming, that happened only last like 15, 20 years. Sure. Well, if I mean, that, 10 years. Mainstream, I, I, oh, so here's the thing. I, I 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 70s, functional programming had a strong hold in the market. And then C++ came out in the 80s uh, and, and started changing conversation towards like systems programming languages with objects, you know? And uh, object-oriented programming came out before that, but it wasn't really like 
small talk, you know, it was in the seventies. Right. Uh, but you know, I, I think really for a big language like C++, which is a systems programming language, therefore widely applicable for it to start talking about objects. That was a, a turning point. The whole community started going that way. And I remember in the nineties, a new software would come out um, and I'll, I'll never forget this new software would come out and the label would be now object oriented. And it's like, <laughs> like, who cares? Nobody cares how you write your software, right? Like it was like, imagine me saying now this code is written and using functional programming. It's better for you. You know, like <laughs> what, what are you talking about? You know? Uh, and so I just remember that change where people like object oriented became so, so <clears throat> important. And then of course, Java, it's all objects, even if you don't, need objects if you just want a regular function uh you know and i remember at that point java became java was on cnn right like <laughs> they had people from sun on cnn in the 90s talking about this new object-oriented cross-platform language this language sensation sweeping the nation you know uh yeah it's paradigms come and go man but i i, I I mean, technologies come and go, but paradigms there forever, you know? They, exactly. Um, and they come back and then, you know, you kind of, that's why, that's why one thing is like, you might think, you know, like what I do, I mean, you know, right now these days I'm like doing much rust, a lot of rust. So yeah. I'm like combining what I used to do, CC++ and a little bit of functional programming, right. but of all that thing combined, but it actually really helps to like, you know, to learn a lot of paradigms and whether you use it or not in the end, you know, you're going quite a little bit deep into it, you know, not like, you know, um, like and spending good, good chunk. And then may use, may you not use, may use it at least affect maybe what you're doing elsewhere, but with a different way of thinking about it, what not. Can I just interject? I just sitting here talking to you about the ebb and tide of technology and the, <clears throat> the, the, the changes. And, and then I, I said the word, uh, nothing new. And I said the phrase, nothing new into the sun. And, it remi- and you talked about Scala Days 2012. Still yeah. to this day, one of the most mind-blowing experiences of my human life, my brief 38 years on this planet, my ever so small, useless time on this planet was 2012. I saw your amazing presentations. You know, I learned a lot from you. I think of you as a hero and a friend. Uh, but, 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 but Ramnivas, there was no bigger star at that Scholar Days in 2012 in New York than your son. Yeah. <laughs> you know that. You know that, and I know that. Yep. yep. Uh, and Rod Johnson, the guy who created Spring, he knew that. We were all sat in the audience watching that, and hey, he was like, I don't know, 10. I don't know how old he was then. Yeah, 12, 12 or 13, something like oh, 12, 12, sure. 12, 13, yeah. something like just the most insane mind bending presentation uh, to this day. I still don't know anybody who's done that many insane things in one presentation. Um, what's he doing? I mean, like yeah, he's, he's doing fine now. He's so he's now doing PhD. Uh, he's in UC Berkeley and he's, he's focusing on distributed systems, systems, programming, programming languages related to systems. He, so here's my theory. He is what happens when you take somebody as brilliant as you and help them skip all the stuff that stopped them from, like, we all had to, like, slog through to find our career, you know? Like, when you were young, you're, you're a little bit older than I am, one or two minutes. I don't know how many more minutes, but, but you're a minute or two older than I am. Uh, and I, I, I expect that 
it wasn't computer for me computers were not readily available same here uh, actually i hadn't seen computer like until like i was 17 or so exactly literally, right. literally literally didn't even see it until i was 17 16 wow. 17 okay so imagine if you had your genius but you had access and you had good you had privilege right uh, imagine what could have been and i think you as an amazing parent just an amazing parent and an amazing person an amazing engineer somebody who inspires in people curiosity i think you did a phenomenal job i i think about uh shadaj uh and you know i keep i keep waiting to hear about when he starts the new company that will take down microsoft and tesla and apple and you know whatever just let me know when he needs somebody to speak for us i will be there no i think you know he's also i mean i think he's you know pretty curious it was much easier to like you know in fact I, it wasn't much of a necessarily teaching him or even more like you know having like you know conversation about anything like you know you're being too modest there's just no way that somebody is the, is naturally that amazing i uh i see your hand in it and um i'm not saying you're taking credit you should take credit for him for his accomplishments but you should definitely take credit for having given a good person a good opportunity you know yeah, certainly i tried to do what i could yeah yeah you're amazing okay so uh so then you went off to i remember you had a uh, was it it doesn't it wasn't a brief it was a you had an ongoing um uh affectation uh, you know affectation for scholar right scholar was this yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, I, today yeah, had yeah. very nice language right yeah, yeah. i actually really enjoy scala i mean i am still like you know it's one of my favorite languages uh, yeah. absolutely i mean you know i mean, i haven't used kotlin because you know that was like you know after i left vm and kotlin kind of came i mean i didn't i saw it you know it's like it's really nice language and i i i right. whatever whatever i see it i like it but i just didn't get a chance to really use it so uh, but when when were you in when did you discover was that when you were on cloud foundry scala yeah i think 2000 11 maybe i started looking at scala uh, that's when aryan had this maybe even 2010 in fact that's how like you know even shadaj got involved because i remember like when i was dabbling with it uh, in fact when i was i was just dabbling and i was just writing something i don't recall like maybe roman to uh, conversion to decimal conversion or something and i, I remember like shadaj just walking and he was like i don't know 9 10 i don't recall exactly but pretty young and i didn't really So he asked me what are you doing so I said I am doing this conversion just to try out like how does scala feel like that sort of thing I just right. dabbling you know and so he was saying okay uh, and say like um how do you do it I said well can you tell me how do you do it you know I mean I showed him the code and saying what do you think I'm doing here I I just asked him you know like for pretty much like you know and he actually kind of started to explain me I think you are doing this here and you are doing this here he had not been really involved in much programming he had done little bit ruby like but that was like you know and more like mindstorm programming and stuff right. like that that was like really surprised and i was like oh you know what this like guy actually can understand like you know what i'm doing and so i right. i that's how i when i actually introduced him to serious language as scala to him as one well. so he started to do scala because of you know because it's like oh you know this guy he really he got it without like you know explaining it what scala is and then then he and so anyway so that's where i got like 2010 11 somewhere around that time i got started to involved in scala it's like oh you know this is interesting this is it's different again flavor different language you know it's a, it's it's a different way of thinking about it functional programming and so 
at this time, for context, I entered the picture, right, uh, in 2010. Uh, and at the time, we were building a we were building a a uh, joint effort with another big company at VMware, and I'll never forget um, the the work that we did. You know, uh, eventually that culminated in open sourcing it in 2011, right? Uh, and that became this technology called Cloud Foundry, right? And so when I first met you, one of my heroes, somebody whose books I, I, I had, I, I still have digital copies, but I, I no longer have the printed ones because I got rid of all my printed books. Um, but uh, when I met you, I, you were holed up in an office in VMware, at VMware, right? This is 2010 in uh, Palo Alto, I suspect. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. Prom and e, yeah. <laughs> Prom B? Yeah, yeah. E, E, yeah. E, okay. I remember walking in there because I used to live in Los Angeles. So, you know, coming to the VMware office because I was a, re- a remote employee and I'm like, how big could the office be? What could it be like? I don't know. Uh, <coughs> and I and I, I get called in to meet Adam Fitzgerald, who you might remember, my yeah. first manager, uh, lovely human being. Uh, and then, you know, I get introduced to all these wonderful people, including yourself, of whom I was a big fan. Uh, and then, of course, um, I met Deckel, who had just started a little bit before yeah. I did. Mm-hmm. I met James Waters. I met uh, Jerry uh, Chen. I like these, you know, lots of names that I, I, I hope some of our listeners will be familiar with. And I just remember seeing you in this, you were, you had your own office, but it was like clear that you didn't give a shit where you were, you were busy. You were just busy. Just, you had shit, you had stuff to do, right? Like there was a lot of stuff to do. Uh, and a lot of people asking about that stuff you were doing, you know? Yeah. yeah. So you, I think I could have found you on the, on the grass and you would have been just as intensely focused, you know, it's such a amazing feeling to be in the room and know that this stuff was happening. And I remember, so were you at this point, Cloud Foundry in the original incarnation was, was a lot of Ruby code. Yeah. Right? Um, were you, were you also writing Ruby code? Is I guess my question. I did. Yeah, I I, I did a, a little bit of that. Yeah, but what I was was I was focused. However, was like right. Uh, so basically, I was cloud foundry like pretty early on. Like you know, basically it was like just forming and pretty much, pretty much like you know it was used to run like on our laptop. But that's you know initially I remember not much really. So the, the Java integration, uh, pretty much all framework integrations were like very you know, iffy. Um, they were not quite like uh, the experience we wanted because Cloud Foundry experience, in fact, I was just looking at some of the, the new stacks and like, you know, Cloud Foundry experience still is one of the best one because you just see yep. yeah. CF push or VMC back in the day. <laughs> yeah. VMware Cloud or something like that. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what it stood for now. But anyway, so VMC push or CF push and it kind of does it, and it's 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 okay. Like some of the stacks, like they specialize in TypeScript, JavaScript, and they do well. They're fine, but this one did it for everything, right? You know, you want everything. to push Ruby applications, sure. Java applications, sure. Groovy applications, sure. It will do even things like auto reconfiguration, where it will say, "Oh, you attach database, and you are using a database. You know what? Why don't I just do it for you?" You know, and it's like. <laughs> Sounds good, man. You know, so certain things like you know, really. So that's where I was like, you know, I took, you know, I looked at framework, and it's like that's where I found like, okay, I know what experience I want to give it to users. 
Right. And but a lot needs to be done to make it really happen. <laughs> so that's where I worked on, like, you know, I led the frame. I started actually framework integration team. I mean, initially, as you, you, you I think I remember like, you know, uh, the time when we were like so intense, you know, sitting in office and we were really like just get things done. And we were like, okay, we need to show it to these people or Salesforce people and bunch yeah. of things like we wanted to do and a lot was to be done. So kind of, so anyway, so we got this, you know, awesome experience. I'm really proud of like work, all the work we did because everything. Like, the world. Yeah. You know, it basically... It's, it's really good experience and robust good experience that we we put out. Oh, yeah. I I I mean, even today, I love the foundational uh, promise of something like Kubernetes. But every major vendor that I know of is racing to make Kubernetes as productive as Cloudflare was. Yeah, and I think in the same way that. Spring Boot promised a opinionated approach to the Java ecosystem that pulled together some common sense, common configuration based on Spring, but gave you the mechanism to unwind those assumptions. I think Kubernetes is to the next generation platform what Spring was to Spring Boot, right? Somebody hopefully the Tanju team over at VMware, somebody's going to come along and provide this opinion, opinionated approach whose assumptions you can unwind. And so Cloud Foundry, uh, you know, those assumptions are great for the 80% case. Yeah, exactly. And if you, so we did Cloud Foundry, the, the stuff we were doing then, and you in particular, and you and the team, the stuff you all were doing then was straight to the 80% case. It didn't have a particularly great unwind story. Like if I wanted to unwind the assumptions, it, 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 you know, you were making, the, understandably, you were making the 80% case work great, right? Um, and uh, if you wanted to do those other 10 or 15% or 20% cases, then maybe there was some friction there. It's a little bit more painful than maybe it could have been. Um, but again, it was great for 80% or more of the use cases out there, yeah, online exactly. transactional web apps. Exactly. Which is like, and it was so, so good. And there's still nothing like that. You know, uh, yeah, I, I was truly I'm a marvel. Yeah. And, I, and yeah, VMware Cloud, VMC, there's still some VCAP, right? There's still some yeah. like, there's still some variables in Cloud Foundry <laughs> today that are still bear the, the, the original. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Such an amazing piece of technology. So how did you get pulled into that? Like it was, you're on the spring team, minding your own business, doing amazing aspect stuff. And then what? Like what yeah, happened then? I, I think if I'm recall correctly, the Peter Cooper Ellis, uh, oh yeah, uh, PC. So he basically said like, oh, you know what? These guys are like doing something cloud related things, and you know, they would, you know, they sh- you should talk to them. You know, so I talked with uh, Mark Lukowski and the whole team, and it's like, okay, this seems like you know, I, I really felt like, okay, this is this is really interesting. I want to do it and there was a lot to be done so it wasn't yeah. like it was like essentially a region and some initial uh, ideas were there so it was like getting started on something new and that was awesome and uh, and also like you know I wanted to make sure that the Java experience is nice on yeah. Cloud Foundry so that's also pulled me in like okay so I I was like you know kind of like also part of my job was a go between Spring Team and Cloud Foundry Team <laughs> 
so yeah. because you know we had to do like whatever spring does you know like we had to make sure that it works well and sts right uh, so talking to um sts folks and getting that part done it was, it's, it's a wonderful like you know how everybody Simply. came came around it and you know just just yeah anyway that's how i got started so and then of I course was... once java worked you know then it's like oh could you do it for node.js could you do it for ruby could we again similar experiences but one thing we wanted to do was you know what i you know i mean not i call it but at least i wanted to apply this like platinum rule like you know as in do what the frameworks want you to do not like don't right. don't give java experience to ruby guys and vice versa you know neither is going and to like gals, it. yeah so we give we basically made java experience that we java guys will like it and ruby experience that we ruby guys will like it and so on so we kind of gave like you know like because ruby guys for example preferred having environment and they actually taking and creating database of that those environments so sure right. that's how we'll do we'll not do auto reconfiguration for you uh, so like that, you know, so that was like, then we grew, we had its little bit of a difference. So we did that. So right. I, I really liked, you know, how we approached it by saying, okay, we'll make the best experience for those frameworks rather than giving a uniform experience of reasonable kind to everybody. Right. And then it worked out very well, I think. And eventually that, that a lot of that work got formalized into build packs and, uh, you know, uh, things like that. But the the idea of we're going to be idiomatic for each community uh, is a huge deal, right? It, because it meant that they could all come and bring their apps, connect their infrastructure, and then go to production Absolutely. in the way that felt most natural, you know? Absolutely. Uh, lower cost of entry. So, okay. So, Cloud Foundry. And then one of the things, again, going back to this, like, the amazing potential, the opportunity of a framework in in building software, right? One of the things that it can do is that it has visibility. It has the ability to interpose itself at the infrastructure level and make your code work better. And so one of the things you did, one of the last things you did on the, the, the at, at VMware, you know, by that point, SpringSource had been acquired by VMware. I, th- I think we kind of skipped that part of the story, but that was 2009. So you were at VMware, you worked on, Cloud Foundry and Cloud Foundry adjacent concerns like these uh, framework integrations. Um, and then at some point, it got even more amazing, which is the synergy of Cloud Foundry plus Spring. And one of the things that delivered on that was the first Spring Cloud connector project. You know, the, what, what we call Spring Cloud today isn't what we called Spring Cloud back in 2012, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, Spring Cloud back then was, I deploy a Spring app it's in Cloud Foundry or Heroku. I think we're, do we have any of the ones supported? I think it was just those two in the beginning, right? Yeah, th- those are the two. And then we supported like local local environment, like, you know. Right, right. And and basically, basically we could use Spring at the bean factory level, at the bean factory post-processor level to replace infrastructure beans, data sources for SQL or connection factories for RabbitMQ or whatever, right? Um, we could replace those beans with beans that we hydrated pointing to the environment variables, pointing to the connection string that we got from the environment variables in the process. So your local database could be H2 talking to an in-memory <clears throat> embedded database, but when you deploy to Cloud Foundry, 
it would find a connection string for Postgres or MySQL or whatever. And then it would just talk to that automatically. You, it's the exact same code, nothing changed. You just deployed, right? Yeah, yeah. I was really, I, I really enjoyed uh, working on that project. So one of the interesting thing there also we did is, you know, we kind of gave like that layered approach. So if you yeah. want to just do, for example, don't want to do auto reconfiguration and you just want to use it, then you can just like, you know, use, I know I'm forgetting the annotation, like scan, auto scan or something like that. We did, component like, scan or cloud, something. Yeah. So we did cloud scan or something like okay. that. So we could like bring in basically based on environment, those beans into your uh, uh, application context and then right. you can use it like any other bean. Uh, so that's that. And then, so we could give them like, you know, that you can do XML based, you can do annotation based, you can do, or you can just say add RabbitMQ. I, again, I, I'm I'm forgetting what, 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 do we, what did we even do? But it was a nice experience. And then use the, all that thing to also do the auto reconfiguration if that's what you want. So you kind of right. like have a very gradual approach of, a spectrum spectrum of like and then the, the coolest thing was so it's really interesting like when cloud foundry initially started we kind of had like okay these are the services we're going to provide like mysql and RabbitMQ and redis and stuff like that right but then it became like okay there are other services that people want to use that we aren't quite interested in providing but there are there may be others who are providing those services so like SAP wanted to like provide like a SAP HANA um, into their cloud because SAP used I think Cloud Foundry yep. uh, to do their cloud. So we wanted so but of course we didn't want so in, actually when I was working on Cloud Foundry we had like this kind of code already but it was done in sort of more sort of more rigid fashion. So like okay we shall provide you these four services and that's it you know right. if you want fifth then it kind of becomes complicated because yes, you can, people can make, it was open source, so people can make pull requests. But right. the, but do we take the pull request for SAP HANA, which we have no idea, does it work? Does it not work? Do we maintain it? And it becomes a bit of a conundrum. So I kind of like wanted to not put us into position where we have to like deal with every single connector out in the world. So we said, we also created like this framework where you could throw in a jar with whatever connector you want. And it will still, the rest of the mechanism will, the cloud scan and whatnot mechanism will just work just fine. So and right. you don't have to talk to us. You don't have to make a pull request. You create your, you make it available to people. They will throw this jar in additionally. And that's it. <laughs> that's so smooth. And similarly, and like, we did like Heroku versus Cloud Foundry. We also did that connector. Where it's right. like, oh, if you want to write for another cloud, sure, you can write. Like So like, we kind of did bunch of dimensions there like the cloud dimension the services direct dimension right and it was was brilliant really and the fact that it was so pluggable uh and that was i think to me that was like the if i want to take an existing app i don't want to do like what we call modernization or whatever you know i wanted to take an existing app from bare metal and get it on the cloud as quickly as possible I think you could not ask for a better uh, on-ramp than Cloud Foundry married with Spring. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those two things together, just it, people call it magic. I just call it productivity. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's production. I get to production faster with those two things, yeah. faster than anything else I can imagine. And eventually those connectors, those, we call them, uh, eventually we started calling them the Spring Cloud connectors. Um because we took the name from you. We took the Spring Cloud <laughs> name, you know. Um, and so now Spring Cloud is 
this huge umbrella project, right? But and the connectors are still a valuable part of it, of course. But um, that was the beginning. It all started there. Such a, an amazing piece of technology. Uh, and then, my friend, and then you left. Yeah, oh, made me sad. What was that about? You just got. You just wanted to try something else. Yeah, it's more like I want to try something else. Uh, so I kind of like went onto like this two-track path of doing some consulting uh, periodically, but also mm-hmm. doing my passion project of like, okay, Indian classical music, what can I do? Take help of technology. And it was so back in the day, like, okay, I had actually started, I mean, I loved Indian classical music since my college days. I didn't have initial introduction, but then college I got introduced. So I kind of like, but I never really got a chance to learn. And then kind of like, even when I got like a teacher, it was like hard to learn. Uh, because what do I do? Like, you know, because I'm not so good at like pitch detecting pitch, like, you know, so, like some of the people, like including like Sharaj, like he's really good at like detecting some minor change in pitch and he will go and fix itself. Like when he plays something, but I am, I'm horrible. I mean, I can play like, you know, note like 25 cents off and I wouldn't even tell, like, you know, it's the same. I, I could probably tell like, it doesn't sound good, but that's about it. It's very vague idea of like, not sound good. So I kind of like, okay, what, what can I help? Like, how could I help if I were to have a platform like 10, 15 years back when I wanted to start playing? So I created this Learn Raga, which basically allows you to create. It's like, there are several parts to it. One is like where you can have like a Google spreadsheet kind of way to create your melodies. So you can write your notations. Indian classical system has like stuff like notation, but a bit different. So I did that then because of my problem of like pitch detection. And then I talked to people and saying they also have a similar problem. So I created like this, you know, I used actually like, you know, I, I mentioned like, you know, I did masters in signal processing. <laughs> right. So I used some of the knowledge that I had back in the days to do all the signal processing FFTs and whatnot to like, you know, give a real time pitch analysis. Right. <laughs> And that's actually, by the way, where I got introduced with, uh, so this whole thing where I did it in Scala, but the pitch detection and all that part was done in Rust with WebAssembly. Oh, wow. WebAssembly. Okay. So that, so that was your, that's what got you down the Rust. When was this then? That Rust is a this very new was, thing. was mm, uh, five, six years back, maybe. Uh, wow. Five years back, maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to recall exactly when I did this, but anyway, I mean, initially it was done using ASM, uh, JS. Right. Uh, and then eventually proper Rust uh, and WebAssembly because I needed like, you know, I needed the whole pitch processing to happen in like 10 to 20 milliseconds. Right. Uh, but actually now I get it in like a millisecond on my computer, one millisecond I can pitch detect and then I can plot and all that thing. That takes a lot longer. Uh, but so that part and then there is also practice that we offer like people like, you know, play this variety of patterns so that you can like so I play flute. Oh wow! <laughs> For this people, this is an uh, this is a podcast, but he just held up a flute. <laughs> Looks really cool too. That's true, yeah. Uh, so, so I um, so that's what I I I, I worked on that. I we uh, uh, along with my wife, uh, we we uh, we worked on this project. We launched it. Um, it's it's still learnraga.com. It's still going on. Uh, Can you spell it? Learn Raga, R-L-E-A-R-N. L-E-A-R-N, and then R-A-R-G-A. R-G-A. Dot com. Dot com. What is R? Is there R-A-G-A? I'll just paste it into chat. 
I, okay. I don't, uh, I don't know things. Let's see here. Raga. Oh, hi. Oh, there is an A. Okay, goodness. I was like very confused. Where did that extra vowel? I, I had R-G-A, but you said R-A-G-A. My bad. Okay. Wow, it looks really good. Okay. Thank you. This is cool. L-E-A-R-N-R-A-G-A.com. Perfect. So, yeah, I did that. You know, that's this. It's I enjoyed it, you know, and, you know, so it's a lot of people are joining. In fact, like some of the really interesting feedback I got, like, you know, there's like somebody, a 70 year old uh, person from India. He sent me like, you know, feedback and has like really made me like, ah, that's, you know what, it's worth it doing all this because he said he could never really figure out how to learn music and he always wanted to do this. Right. And uh, so he's like, this is like a godsend to me, like, you know, uh, and he is like, you know, he's like, actually, I'm able to follow my passion now. I'm able to like, you know, compose music. I'm able to do uh, so it's like, uh, 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 it's like, yeah, you know what? It's all worth it. <laughs> if I could it, make that difference. Yeah. That is so cool. That is so cool. What an amazing uh, gift you have and, and that you have given. Wow. Okay. I, so this, we could, I, I get the feeling we can have a whole podcast on this, um, yeah. but uh, I will, I will read, I will read this. I don't know anything about this stuff, obviously, but uh <clears throat> I can't wait to check it out. Okay, so uh, so then what? What like? Wow, this is this is like uh, a lot of work. It looks amazing. I mean, did you do anything after this? Yeah. How? So like last. Wow. You're amazing. Go on. Last Sorry. two years, I'm working on this called Claytip. Um, so there's a Claytip.com, but the site is not actually telling all the things that it actually it's 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 a vision that was like earlier i'm going to actually update the site in a in a in a few weeks sure uh, but basically it's a backend as a service a take on backend as a service so you describe your model so you describe your saying okay here are the entities that i want and here are the security rules i want to apply here are the uh, external business logics that i want to link in with uh, and you basically describe it and it it's all written in Rust. So this is something I right. switched uh, from Scala to Rust because I wanted to play into this cloud edge and all that stuff. So, uh, and then basically it gives you backend, it gives you server right now offering GraphQL API. And um, it's awesome. I mean, I, 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 the memory consumption and the startup time is like total awesome. Like, you know, I get like a few milliseconds, it starts, uh, you just like, 1020 ram mb ram so that's like uh so yeah i'm planning to open source it in early february hopefully um like oh, that sounds so cool so claytip.com it's a backend as a service and it seems like you have a way to describe your model here in this like uh ideal kind of format you know right? yep yep exactly um and then you can bind services you can bind your own existing database or uh let's see i'm reading it solid core scales from serverless deployment to edge services wow that's so cool but you can write javascript and typescript right you don't have to write rest 
No, no. In fact, users never write Rust. Uh, well, there is a plugin model if you really want, like, but that's like super extra advanced cases where you want to write your own plugin to connect to the some. Let's say, suppose you want to su- support a database that, right? We don't support yet. Then you could do that, but that's not like the primary. Like, like ninety nine percent of the people will just write uh, this clay language, essentially, it's like a TypeScript like language, and then you could write a TypeScript or JavaScript code. We have preliminary support for WebAssembly, so we won't write into different language completely. You could, but that's like extremely experimental support right now. Wow. Wow, this is fast. Clay backends are meticulously optimized and start in less than a millisecond. That's a big deal, especially it seems like you've you've really learned from those real-time constraints (laughs) Yeah, uh, the, it's, it's complete the circle. Like you the know. circle is complete. Yeah, yeah like C C plus plus functional programming and all that thing and uh, pluggable systems, plugin and all that thing kind of comes into this. And that's amazing. So C L A Y T I P dot com. That's so cool. I'm I'll be checking this out. Um, what about you, my friend? Uh, are you on the internet? And if so, do you want to be found? And if so, where are you? Yeah, um, I have like a personal website, ramnivas.com. R-A-M-N as in Nancy, I-V-A-S.com. Yep. And the one, the only. Yeah. <laughs> you are so nice, Josh. You know, I'm you a make fan, me, man. You make me feel like I'm actually something when I'm... I, I no, kind of, quite the contrary. You, I'm, I'm feel, I feel like I'm a legend just being able to talk to you. I can't believe you're here. This is so cool. Yeah, like it's, uh, these days, my like imposter syndrome comes in. as like you know, like, <laughs> like I, 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 these days I feel like you know, like oh man, I, do I know anything? You know, <laughs> I, I feel the same. Just being able to talk to you, man. I'm, I'm telling you, I just, it's a, it's uh we just talk. We've only been talking for an hour and whatever, twenty minutes or something like that, fifteen minutes, and and I just, I even, I, even I, you know, I know some of your history, uh, you know, obviously because I was there for some of it, but uh, just blows my mind what you got away with and what you get done and what you've like just just amid the amazing things you've done just you know like in between other amazing things you know most of us just sit there and pick our nose but you're you're like a legend um so romnivas.com are you on uh, mastodon or twitter or yeah anything else? yeah i i, I was, uh, on twitter Awesome. And on Twitter, I have like a master DOM address as well. Yeah. Okay. My friend, I appreciate you taking the time. I thank you so, so much for this. And thanks, uh, Josh. Yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I and mean, this was like, it feels like, you know, what hour gone by, like without, like, I, I'm just realizing it now. <laughs> well, that's the thing. We could definitely deep dive into all this stuff. And I feel uh, I, I didn't do you enough justice by being, we just don't have enough time. It's just not. We can possible. That's that's our opportunity to talk again. (laughs) I'm I'm always looking forward to it. Thank you, my friend. A beautiful podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm Josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. 
Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as that really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.